go ahead and grab a, a chair really quick. I want to just share this word with you. Um, a Pulse is a service um, that we started. This church will be 14 years old um, this coming August 23rd. And we started these. We just wanted to take time out of our, our lives and just stop and say, hey, we just want to feel the heartbeat of God. That's what we want. We just want to feel His heartbeat. We want to be about church on Sunday. We want to be a ch- about church on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all through the week. But we want to just take time and very intentionally come away from the world and just stop. And part of the deal is that we wanted to linger. We wanted to linger in worship and just wait and hear from God and, and see what it was that he was saying to us. And so that's why we do a little extra. The service is a little longer than normal. Um, and um, that's what's going on here is we just want to do that. And so in the midst of all of that, I also want to share with you a word that um, I feel like the Lord gave us for the Pulse services. I, I spend time praying for the message on Sunday morning that I preach day in and day out for the last 30 years this year. But at the same time, when it comes to Pulse, I just, I just tend to linger a little longer in my study or just in my prayer for the night. And so I want to share this word with you. And I want to pray that at the end of the day, when you go to church, when you go to some place where, where you worship, if it's not here, um, I, I really hope to goodness that you walk in, first of all, expect God to say something to you because I can't imagine believing in a God who loves you so much that he let his son come down here and die for you but he doesn't want to talk to you anymore he doesn't want to say something to you or that he is only going to say what's printed right here in these words and that's it and that's all there is to it well how is he going to have a conversation with you about your car and your driving habits how is he going to have a a conversation that you need to get out of the left lane if you're no let's don't go down that road tonight Um, how is he going to have a conversation with you if he's not going to do this with you. I believe that God still speaks to us. I just believe that we live in such a whirlwind fashion that we don't take time to hear from God, that we say, Lord, I want to hear from you, but what that really means is if you could get this in before my show starts, if you could get this in before I head out to basketball, if you could get this in, we don't take time to just sit and be there. We don't just take time to hear from God. Tonight, I hope and pray that we take time to be with God. Fathers, we come before you. We just say, come Holy Spirit. Let your spirit reside upon us. Let it begin to break down the walls of our heart, open up our heart. We need this seed sowed into our soul tonight. And so we thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I'm going to talk to you out of John chapter 10, but I want to begin just talking about John chapter 9. John chapter 9 describes a healing that Jesus did of a man that was born blind. He was walking along, and his disciples were with him, and they asked him, he said, hey, who, who sinned, this man or his father, or his, his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, no, 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 this happened so that God could be glorified in your presence. And he goes on to have this great big giant um, dissertation, a conversation within, it's just a teaching time with his disciples, and he does this thing. Now, the, here's the problem. The problem is this is all taking place on the Sabbath, okay? And so Jesus does this thing, okay? Now, you know, you, I don't know what Jesus you serve, but you, you check yourself and ask yourself, is it this Jesus, okay? Jesus, come and heal me. And Jesus says, okay, let me bring some healing to this guy. And he gets down and he spits on the ground and he makes mud from spit and dirt right there in, in, in Israel. He uses the dirt from Israel and he spits saliva from his mouth and he makes a mud pack and he goes to the guy and he packs the mud on his eye. Now, I don't know if that's your idea of revival in your church or this church. I don't know if that's when you think, God, revive me, if he's like, oh, great, I'm going to dump you in a manure pile because I just need to do some things with you. I don't know if that's where you are because we've got this, this bogus idea about who, who God is and what God will and will not do. We actually do. 
We have determined inside of our souls, this is the deal of what's going on. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, when I, when I look at Jesus and he goes up to somebody and he heals like blind Bartimaeus and he says, uh, you know, be healed, you know, receive your sight. And he can see it, he can see it, and he's so excited. But then he comes to this guy and he's like, and he spits on the ground and he makes mud and he puts it in his hands and he puts it on the guy's eyes. And we're thinking, yeah, that's not our Jesus, is it? No. No, God wouldn't do that. He did it. It's in the scripture. I'm not making this up. Okay, don't ever take my word for it. Go back and look in the Bible and see if God did this because he did this. And we have the audacity to say, well, I know God and God would never do something like that. I know God and he would only do this. I lived a life, I did not live raised in a Christian home. I, get, I got raised in a, in, a, in a whole other sermon and so we won't go there right now, okay? But I'm just telling you, I met Jesus when I was 17 in a very conventional church, okay? And so when I went someplace where people were being a little demonstrative, I folded my hands like this. I was at the concert and I was listening to Carmen down there and he was bringing Jesus. But there was a guy in the front row that was jumping up and down, and I said, Lord, you have got to put a seatbelt on that guy. He clearly is not full of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord just quietly whispered in my ear, and he said, which one of you two is worshiping? You see, I had determined, I'd been saved for a year or two, and I had already determined what God did and didn't do, who he was and wasn't, what he would and wouldn't allow. I was some kind of an expert on God because I was a Christian. You see, I was molding my God instead of accepting God who is. And we live in a world that manufactures God and creates him to be what we want him to be so that we can satisfy what's going on in our lives. And I'm not talking about sin. Sometimes I'm talking about the pain that we are suffering. This is what God must be doing because this is what I'm going through and I'm not a bad person. So therefore, this is who God has to be. And we need to back up and let God be God. And we need to recognize that that's not always the way it works. But when we say, oh, that's gross and that's nasty, and it was gross and nasty, to spit on the ground in front of God and everybody, Jesus being the Lord, spit on the ground to make mud, to put it on this guy's eye. I can't imagine the crowd going, oh, this is disgusting. God would not do this. And this guy gets up seeing. But when we say, I know God and he doesn't do that, we kind of set the tone for the rest of our evening, don't we? We begin to either set ourselves up to receive from God or we've sealed ourselves off. We've grieved the Holy Spirit. And we're crying out for God to do something in our lives while we're closing the door because God wouldn't do that. See? And we've got to get back to the place where we say, God, we need you to reveal yourself to us from your scripture and from what's going on in our lives. Where are you in this? You only know what God reveals to you about God and God will do whatever he wants to do, and he does not need my permission. I had somebody tell me that one time. They said, you need to understand, Joe, that God is God, not you. And that if God wants to come blowing through a gathering together and fill people with the Holy Spirit, and fires, little tongues of fire start floating around, and they begin to speak ten languages that are known right there, or moaning and groaning, he will do whatever he wants to do, because you don't dictate to God what God will and won't do. God is God. Joe is not. The sooner you can get a hold of that, the happier you're going to be. Then you just have to stop and begin to say, God, I don't like what I'm going through but I know you haven't gotten off the throne. You are still in 
charge. So this story gets crazy because this blind guy that now can see um, his neighbors and his friends refuse to believe that he's the one that was blind and now got healed. They, they do. They come to his, and his friends and neighbors go like, ah, I don't think that's him. It's like, it's him? He grew up right in front of your eyes. But they're like, nah, we don't think it's him because he was blind and this really doesn't happen. And they started making excuses and it gets out of hand. And his parents are like, you ask him. We don't want to get in trouble anymore, so you just better go ahead and ask him. And, and this begins to happen. And so I wrote this down this way. The God protectors needed to protect the God rules that the God chasers seemed to be ignoring. Now, when I say that, please do not hear me saying, let us sin all the more that grace may abound. That is not what I'm saying. All I'm saying, God was doing something new in the person of Jesus Christ on the earth, and just because this man got healed on the Sabbath, the, the religious people, the actual Pharisees, you'll see it in a second, went absolutely not they were God protectors I will give them the credibility of trying to protect God who doesn't need you to protect him he needs you to testify about him but for God's sake okay and I don't mean that crass why won't we do that but we'll jump up and try to protect him and so here was the God protectors telling the God chasers that they have to stop doing uh, breaking the God rules on the Sabbath. They wanted the man to get unhealed, go back to bed, and wake up the next day and come back and get healed because we don't heal people on the Sabbath. And Jesus clearly said, we do. We do. God will do what God wants to do because God is God. And Joe Wood is not. And I need to hang on to that. And that gives me great joy. You see, you and I, and it comes down to this right here, and I would encourage you to put it in your little hand right now and hang on to it. We're called to obey God, not protect God. Even when it doesn't make sense. And the scripture is full of stories that did not make sense sense build an ark where there's no lake there's no marina there's no rain has ever taken place what's an ark God said it's this it's this big it's this long it's this deep the light comes from up here at the very top has one door it's three floors it's all the things God said I don't want to have a discussion with you about a pond a lake or oceans I want to have a discussion about whether you'll build the ark or not. See, it's not Noah's ark. It's God's ark. All Noah had to do was build it, and it was up to God to make it float, not Noah. If it had sunk to the bottom of the ocean, it would have been a success story because it was about obedience in the salvation process. So our story today is in John chapter 9. It's what happens the next chapter going into verse 10, or chapter 10. <clears throat> chapter 9 ends with Jesus saying, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and that those who see will become blind and then the Pharisees who are with him. Now pay attention to what you're reading when you read your word. Okay? The Pharisees. Who's he talking to? The Pharisees. He's talking to the religious people, the God protectors, who legitimately thought they were doing the right thing. We've got to protect the institution. 
I'm not saying they weren't protecting their jobs, but I'm giving them the credibility of trying their best to love God by protecting God. And they weren't called to do that. Some Pharisees who were with Jesus heard him say this, and they asked, what, are we blind to? Okay, now they're getting saucy. For all of those of you that think Jesus speaks in an Australian language or an accent, okay, because that's what you've got your U version set to, right? Let's just be honest, okay? You think that he speaks in monotone. He doesn't. If you read your Bible, you can very clearly see that Jesus gets saucy, okay? And with all due respect to people in my life, he gets a little sarcastic sometimes, just a little. Oh, you brood of vipers, who has told you? Come on. And right here, these Pharisees are saying right here, um, hey, are we blind too? Now you can say that the Pharisee said, oh, Lord, whither did thou come with this information? Are we also blind? You can say that they talk like that. I don't believe it. I do not believe it. I'm telling you right now, the Lord stepped up and made a small devotional that put him at odds with the God protectors, and they were mad. They were angry. Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But because you claim that you're not blind, you claim that you can see, then your guilt remains because you won't change your lifestyles. That's what he's talking about here. I'm giving you the interpretation at the same time, okay? And I don't mind being wrong. Read it for yourself and come back and tell me what yours would be, all right? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But you claim that you can see, so your guilt remains. You say you've been forgiven, but you keep going and doing the things that God says don't do. That's what he's talking about, okay? Verily, truly, very truly, 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 verily, verily, however you want to read that in the version you've got, I say to you, Pharisees, anybody does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters in through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice, and that's a big deal. Listen to his voice. When the Lord says to you, sell everything you've got, give to the poor, he didn't say give it all to the poor in that particular instance, but when he says, sell everything you've got, give to the poor, and come and follow me, do it. We live in a world that says, that is not good stewardship, don't do that, because Dave Ramsey said, well, time out. Dave Ramsey didn't die on a cross for me. I'm telling you, good stewardship is not doing what you think makes the most sense with the money. It's doing with the money what the owner of the money says to do with it. That's the, men, the, the definition of the word steward. It means it's not yours. They're not your kids. It's not your job. It's not your spouse. And it certainly is not your world. But he has got such a blessing in store for you if you will just, what does it say right here? Hear his voice. Listen, stop fighting. Listen, you're not worthless. Listen, you have not sinned beyond his desire to see you saved and back in the family. Listen, he says, come follow me. Listen, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them. He does not drive them like a cowboy. He leads them like a shepherd. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Do you know the voice of God? 
When the voice tells you to jump, change jobs, move, whatever it is, do you know the voice of God so that you can obey the voice of God? Or does the voice of God only ever sound like what makes you more money, gets you a bigger house, a faster car, another guitar, a prettier dog? I'm just telling on myself. I have a prettier dog. I just got it two weeks ago. I can come away from this addiction, but not right now. The scripture goes on to say they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus uses this figure of speech, but the Pharisees, you see, he's, he's still talking to the Pharisees. He's still talking to the God protectors. See? He's not talking to his disciples. He's talking to the God protectors. The Pharisees still did not understand what he was, talk, what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said, again, very truly I tell you, verily, verily, I say unto you, I'm telling you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep, and everybody that's come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep, the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in, and they will go out, and they will find pasture. The thief comes only to still kill, steal, kill. I've been here too long in this state. He steals. He steals stuff, okay? He steals it. All right? Okay. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When you put steal and kill next together, you're going to rip your, I mean, tie your tongue up. Okay. Steal, kill, and destroy. And I love this. But I have come that they may have life, and you're sick and tired of me saying this word, but that you might have it parisos. The Greek word is parisos. And that means vehemently. Don't, test, don't trust me. Look it up yourself in an in a interlinear. Okay? It means exceedingly, abundantly, vehemently more than those around you. He, I'm not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm talking about a life you never dreamed of that might include that if you're a conduit and not a cul-de-sac with, with the gifts of God that he gives to you. So he tells them this. I'm the good shepherd, he says, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, and he's talking about the God protectors now, when they see the wolf coming, they abandon the sheep and run away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, and the man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not even from this sheep pen, and I must bring them also. And they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Not many flocks, not many ways to heaven, not many shepherds, not many leaders, not many gods, not many anything. One, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I've come to understand that. And Christianity is the most inclusive religion I have ever seen because God provided the way, provided the payment, provides the righteousness, but we stand and we say, we're not doing it your way, and then shake our fist and say, how can God be so mean? And all he was saying was, I made it as easy as I possibly could. Come follow me. And we say, well, I want to stand in the road and get run over by a bus. How come you let the bus hit me? And God said, I just asked you to obey my voice. That's the point. The reason my father loves me, Jesus says, is because I lay my life down only to take it up again. Look at this. Next time somebody tells you they murdered him, no one takes it from me. Nobody took Jesus' life from him. I lay it down of my own accord. I willingly walked in and let them crucify me. That's what's coming down the line for him. 
I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. You and I have a shepherd. And we have a shepherd who cares, who lives with us, who lives in us, who walks among us, and who brings healing to his sheep, who takes them into greener pastures when we do things his way. Psalm 23 says, in in, um, David's psalm, it says, The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And we know some people, don't we, that are walking in the shadow of the, uh, the valley of the shadow of death right now. We know that. We know people wrestling with cancer. We know people that just had brain surgery. We know people that the enemy is absolutely beating up. And it's time for us to push back. It is time for us to pray. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. That means you made me very special to you. My cup overflows. The goodness and the favor of God is running out of my life. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow. Tonight, you and I, we're sheep. We're sheep tonight. I know we want to be wolves. I know we want to be tigers. I know that we want to be lions. I know that we want to be tough dragons. You know, I've seen all this stuff and said, hey, that would be cool. That would make a great shirt. But Jesus said, no, you're sheep. You're sheep. You're not sheep because you follow along some political ideology. You're not sheep because you listen to this or that. You're sheep because God said you're his sheep and he cares so much about you that he wants to be your shepherd. You are his sheep. That means you also belong to him. Like it or not, you belong to God. But you can be wayward. You can go out the the gate. You can do your own thing. You can run your own way. You can do it all. Philip Keller's got a great book about being sheep. The shepherds look at Psalm 23. Look at it. Knock yourself out. He raised sheep in Ethiopia for a number of years. It was a great experience for him, and he, he wrote all about it. It's awesome, you know? Some sheep are just wayward. They just keep going the wrong way, but it doesn't make them any less his. It just means they need to go to market before they lead everybody else astray. Tonight, I am a sheep in need. I need my eyes opened to the shepherd among us. Do you know that heaven is here now? Do you know the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 13, Keep loving one another as brothers and sisters, and don't forget to show uh, hospitality to strangers. Why do we need to show hospitality to strangers? For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Angels walk on this earth, and you you probably, now I have not seen anybody with big wings. Now, just for the record, cherubim or cherubim, okay? But I'm talking about angels. I'm talking about some Michael, some Gabriel, You know what I'm talking about? I've never heard them described as having big wings, ever, in the Scripture. Nobody ever said, the angel was amongst us and the wings were so big. They've never said that. And I would think that if they had wings, somebody would have said something. You know, I'm not talking about a dream that somebody had of cherubim flying around in wheels and wheels. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Michael showing up or Gabriel showing up. I'm I'm talking about, you know, Mary saying, here was Gabriel, and he had the most beautiful wings you've ever seen. No mention of wings whatsoever. I will mention the wings. If an angel shows up in my office, I will mention the wings if there's wings. But we've got this idea, and we need to have this understanding that heaven has crashed into earth. 
in the person of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, God is interacting with you and I. And I do believe that you and I interact with angels at times and we don't know it. And I would encourage us to say, I'm a sheep that needs to have my eyes opened to what the shepherd is doing among us. You remember Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. When you say, what does it take for us to go to heaven? Jesus said in Matthew 7, I only do, you know, only those who do what my Father in heaven asks them to do. Not all the good things, but are you doing the thing that he's asking you to do? That means he has a voice that we need to hear. John 10.10, 10. the sheep hear my voice and they obey it. They follow me, see? So you and I, I'm a sheep and I need to have my eyes open to what God is doing amongst us. Because I know God has not left us to the situation that we're in on this earth. I know that. He's told us it's time to rise up. I believe that. Heaven walks among us. I need to have my eyes open. Number two, I need healing in my body from my shepherd. You know, that's one of the shepherd's jobs. Bring the sheep in, anoint their head with oil, get the bot flies off, get the flies off, clean their wool, shear them a little bit. You know, sometimes, you know, we have to lay off the weight that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. Okay, sometimes a shepherd's got to take the sheep and he's got to shear it and get all that weight off. Sheep can't move a whole, I don't know if you ever saw that sheep that was gone for like seven years or whatever it was. Can't remember what his name, Wilbur or something like that. But you couldn't see the sheep in the picture. There was just this mat of wool. And this thing was carrying like, I, I, I don't know how many pounds of wool on his body. And it was amazing that he had not been attacked and eaten, but I don't think the wolf could have got through the wool. It's just, I mean, Google it. It's, it's there. I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's the shepherd's job to take care of the sheep. And I need healing in my body. And I'll take that healing even if it's on the other side. The goal of Christianity is not to stay on this planet, believe it or not. The goal of Christianity is to be obedient until we hear the Lord say, come home, well done, my good and faithful servant. But we live in a world of Christianity that says, no, it's all about medicine and staying on the planet, and it's not. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am there you may be also. That's for people who won, who persevered. We get to go home. But we don't see it that way like they did in the 1500s. In the 1500s, people got that. They understood that to the degree that something erupted called martyr syndrome. Everybody wanted to be burned at the stake or crucified because they got to go home. It's crazy. Don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself. James says this, if anyone is among you is in trouble, let them pray. If anybody's happy, let them sing songs of praise. If any among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's the whole purpose of confessing our sins to one another is to find healing and hope and accountability with one another, not so that we can throw rocks at one another, so that we can find healing and hope in relationship to one another. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. John said, he records Jesus as saying, very truly I tell you, every, anybody who believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and they will do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son and you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And listen, there's a lot of unpacking that needs to happen there without us telling each other what God is really saying. I don't understand that, but I'm going to move forward in it. I'm going to walk in it. 
and then I'm going to leave it in God's hands. The last thing I want to share with you is that I need leading from my shepherd. I need leading. I need a job. God invited me to surrender my life for, uh, to him, not to accept him as my Lord and Savior. That's, that's kind of a bogus statement. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I hope not. I hope you have surrendered to him as your Lord and Savior. Because people started asking if you've accepted your Lord in about 1945. You know what happened in 1945 in America? See, we pulled ourselves up by our bootstrap, and I'm not against that. I'm just saying up to that point, the church records that have you surrendered your life to Jesus yet? See, it was an anticipation. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the tendency to get up and say, Lord, I need you to do this, 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 and this, this for me. When you surrender to Jesus, you get up and you say, what now, Lord? What now? You are the master. We don't say no, Lord, or he's not the Lord. We say yes, Lord. And sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it means changing jobs. Sometimes it means going into ministry, going into the mission field. Sometimes it means surrendering our kids and saying, Lord, we're giving them to you into the kingdom ministry, into the mission field. And we, it doesn't make any sense to us, and it scares us. But we've got to get to the place where we trust him to be God. I need a leading from my shepherd. He leads us. And too often, we're trying to lead him to do what we want so that we can say we're doing this for God. And we've got to make sure we're doing what God wants because sooner or later it will be found out. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean it comes crashing and burning. We say, what happened? Okay? In Mark 7, Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I will make you fishers of men. That's what he said. He didn't say, hey, guys, you're saved now. I've given you a great boat full of fish. Hey, spend that 250000 Just spend it wisely. He didn't do that. He said, leave it there, come, follow me. And they did. Immediately they left their nets, their boats, and the fish on the shore and went and followed Jesus. Well, that's not good stewardship, is it? <laughs> and yet that's the Lord. In the, in the book of 2 Corinthians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The new has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to you and I, every single one of us, Paul's saying, the ministry of reconciliation. Every single one of us has been called to go out and make a disciple and bring it in. We have been called in John 15 to bear much fruit. And that fruit is newly saved people, not a good attitude. That's a fruit of this Holy Spirit inside of you. Your fruit is other saved people. And God has the right to invite us into that. And I want to encourage you that that is our calling. There's three different sheeps. I just want to invite you, which one do you connect with the most? I'm a sheep that needs my eyes open to God amongst us. I'm a sheep that needs healing in my physical body from the shepherd. I'm a sheep that needs purpose, a calling, a ministry from God. I need to know what it is he wants me to get involved in, and I want to encourage you in that.